the founder of Geo, the, the company in India, right? Like I, I think Mukesh, Mukesh Ambani's big realization is that he saw that instead of trying to create super bespoke services for India, what he did is he made internet as cheap as possible. And when he made internet dirt cheap, what effectively happened is everyone started using TikTok, right? Everyone got on you know, Facebook. Welcome back to the Global Startup Movement, where every week we feature conversations, insights, and innovation highlights from emerging startup ecosystems all over the world. My name is Andrew Berkowitz, and I want to start this off by just thanking all of you who tune in every single episode uh, and have really incorporated this podcast into your weekly routine. We would not be able to do this show without you. And as a token of my appreciation, I have brought on the most interesting man in Kenya. Kago Kagachiri is the co-founder of Aneza Education, which is a learning platform supporting millions of 10 to 25-year-olds across Africa. He started this back in 2012, and during his stint as CEO of Aneza, Kago grew it from a team of 45 people across five countries and grew their unique users from 650,000 to over 5.7 million. A couple years after leaving Aneza, he is now the global head of innovation for SokoWatch, which is a tech-enabled company transforming communities across Africa by connecting small shops to the digital economy to revolutionize access to essential goods and services. There are now thousands of retailers across Kenya, Tanzania, and Rwanda that now use SokoWatch's mobile ordering and delivery service to receive the goods they need while also accessing growth financing for the first time. Kago, my man, welcome back on the show. Thanks, man. Glad to be back. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been two years, a lot of silence. So I always enjoy talking to you. So yeah, thanks for welcoming me back on the show. Yeah, man. How have you been? It's it's been a while since we last connected in Nairobi, and I mean, last time we were hanging out was actually the beginning of the last crypto bull run back in 2017, 2018, and here we are again, 2020, at the start of the next one. Yeah, yeah, it looks, uh, yeah, it's like deja vu. Yeah, I mean, a lot has changed. Obviously, you know, the apocalypse almost happened. I remember, you know, buying shopping until like October because I thought it was just going to be, you know, super hectic. So no, glad, glad that we were able to do this. Yeah, for sure. So fill us in, man. What have you been up to since you left the board of Aneza? I believe that was back in 20, 2018 when you left. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that was, uh, 2018. Yeah. I think I left, um, I stopped running the company in October and then, then I left the board around January. So yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, really don't have the details. It's probably one, one article just saying that I stepped down. Um, I mean, I think long story short, you know, what can I say? Entrepreneurs make, made make mistakes. I think my mistake was really when you run a business and you're always sort of trying to find that, like, what's that product? What's that thing that's going to sort of like get us into the big leagues, right? We were already in the big leagues. I mean, we had just won at MWC in 2018, but, you know, sort of just like looking for that thing that will also just spare the team sort of like a lot of time and effort. You know, you have no idea what it is to like work with telecoms, um, you know, sorting out things like billing. And so when we won at Mobile Web Congress, we basically, you know, had an option to basically resell our software to telcos. And I think I was just sort of like so into 
um, or, or just like so tired of the work of like what it looks like to be a B2C company. You know, we were almost like at times actually competing with Safaricom for the same ad spaces on the radio station, right? So the idea that telcos would be able to take the platform and, and, and move with it was a really compelling idea. And I think that idea sort of like wasn't shared as well. And so I think, you know, when it did come down to it, it really came down to, you know, are we taking this business deals or are you following like a B2C strategy? I was very uh, excited with the B2C strategy. I would say the rest of the people who had decision-making power as well were not. And so, you know, I, I, I said, you know, if, if you guys sort of like want to continue with the strategy we had before, um, you know, I was happy to step down and allow the company to go because I was going to build a completely sort of like different kind of business. So, yeah, so, so that happened very quickly, you know, went to work in energy. So I actually worked for an, um, an LPG company called Proto Energy. And we were basically, um, you know, manufacturing gas. So it was like a really huge factory, had, um, you know, a good bit of funding. The idea there was to sort of figure out how to find, you know, value-added products for the businesses that we were serving. Um, and so while I was there, we launched home delivery uh, for gas. We also launched, you know, some very interesting sort of like automotive projects that I can't talk too much about. But the thing that I was really excited about was the fact that we uh, had sort of like a resale platform for, for shops. And so what that meant was we would give them uh, a gas cage um, and the gas cage sort of like came with an app. The app was zero-rated, so, you know, they didn't need sort of like any data bandwidth requirements to use the app and sell gas. And we would basically automatically re replenish these cages. And I think it was a very interesting lesson in like, what does it take to sort of like drop a value-added product at a shop and have that shop sort of like sell that over like managing that product themselves, right? So when we went there, we found that shops like the gas cage, but Anytime there was any problem with the UI or the UX, you'd see the shops would very quickly, you know, fall back to selling the competitor stuff. But once we really got it right, um, you could see that shops understood um, the value of the app and of the products that we were giving them. Um, and the fact that it just sort of like uh, reloaded itself. Um, and I think that was like a cool thing. It was also an interesting effort to sort of like tell a shop, okay, you, you, you're sort of making commission on this, you know, you're not sort of, so it's, it's like, there's no capital, there's no capital sort of like um, expense on the shop. So it was really like a reseller platform, which was also very new for kiosks. So when we really started seeing that it was working really well, uh, I mean, obviously the first thing I asked myself was, look, you know, I'm working for just one person who provides one value added service. And I looked around, there was obviously like Coco Networks who do their um, alternative fuel thing. You know, and then basically every other supplier is trying to get the shop to sell something. So what I told myself is, you know, I want to look for the people who are behind the counter with the shops, right? So not people who are sort of like dropping a, a fuel thing at the corner or like us who are dropping a gas cage and telling the shop, just keep it clean, just sell it. You know, you'll get your commission in the end. So the shop almost had this sort of like tech support role. Um, I wanted to be sort of like with the people who are actually helping the shops run their business because then you could sort of like gatekeep and, you know, highly innovate what other kinds of value-added services shops can work with. And that's how I'd say I ended up at Sokowatch, right? So, you know, I met Daniel who was looking for a head of product. I obviously told him about the journey I'd had with Proto Energy and it was actually quite, you know, sort of like serendipitous that, you know, I was able to move from, um, you know, sort of like offering one value-added service to sort of like, 
you know, then getting into this kiosk um, customer, this kiosk user persona who is super interesting. And I'm really happy that I joined Sockwatch. And you, I, again, I think we have been really innovative in trying to see how to help the shops grow their business, run their business, and be able to research um, these these um, value added services that we could we could give the shops. And, and when I did my research into Soka Watch, it made a lot of sense um, why, why you would be there because a lot of your journey has been kind of innovating and building digital economy solutions on top of this legacy infrastructure that Kenya has, which is USSD Rails, this broader SME ecosystem, which is not necessarily efficiently plugged in just yet to the digital economy, although I think Corona has definitely accelerated that ecosystem. Yeah. And so I read that Daniel first built Soko Watch uh, for rural health centers in Egypt before he came to Kenya in 2015. When was the first time that you actually met Daniel? Like, did you meet him back uh, in his in his first trip to Kenya? Yeah, no, I think I'd met him probably when he had. So that was Relief Watch, right? And that that I think was a health um, a health platform. And then I think I think we met when he just pivoted to uh, Soko Watch. Yeah, I mean, very interesting guy, you know, very quiet. I couldn't sort of like find out, find any information from Soapwatch except that, you know, they were doing, you know, really great things. So, yeah, it was also nice to come in and see, you know, really like, you know, the great culture and all the great work that Soapwatch is up to. Um, yeah, and like I said, like before, right, it's, it's, it's very interesting because, you know, at, at Ineza, my big vision was actually, you know, my whole thing at Ineza was to like reduce the time spent in school, right? It wasn't just like to educate kids more. So for me, my dream was sort of like to to create a, a sort of like a USSD app where shops could like, you know, take student apprentices and the course would be both fulfilling to the students in that things learned would be used by other shops, but also, you know, behavior sort of like caught by shops and advice given would also be like democratized to other students working at other shops. And the idea was to have student apprentices in many businesses. So it is interesting that, you know, I sort of like ended up working with, you know, this mysterious guy who had a shop platform and, and now I'm actually working with the kiosks who I believe are are really like the anchors of the community, right? You go to these shops and, you know, you find that's where like, you know, a couple of guys sit there all day, you know, the old guy with all the advice, that's where he sits. Um, and so, it, you know, it, it makes sense that even for, for, for Daniel, right, because he was looking for that community impact that he did move from, you know, um, you know, medicine, uh, supply chain to like, you know, the shop supply chain, which is like, you know, a, a super crazy, super huge traffic, um, you know, super volatile uh, market. It, it, it makes it um, all that more exciting to work with. And so can you tell us a little bit more just about, about Soka Watch and like the kind of problem that it's initially set out to solve for SMEs and kind of what that's evolved into? Yeah. So, yeah. So Soka Watch, you know, when it really started, in most of the places where Sokowatch worked, in some of the places it still does, you know, we're the only, you know, wholesaler who actually comes to your shop, right? Um, the idea of like, you know, two-hour delivery to get your sort of like wholesale goods and services um, was not, you know, was, was not heard of. Definitely not in Uganda, not in Tanzania um, or in Rwanda where, where we work as well as Kenya. And so, yeah, Sokowatch, you know, provides essential goods and services to your informal mom and pop corner shops. We have two-hour delivery. You know, we have an app where shops can also sort of like track their transactions um, and have access to credit and other value-added services, including, you know, insurance. 
And right now, uh, this sort of like Essentials e-voucher program that we're running, yeah, the big problem was, you know, access to goods and services was, it is still difficult, right? I mean, you can get a number of people to deliver you different products, but it's really hard to get like that consistent partner who's there for you six days a week. And it's able to give you that two, um, that two hour sort of delivery because a lot of the shops, and I remember this when we had implemented same day credit, right? Like some shops, they know like a certain product will only sell today, right? It's not worth stocking that product beyond one day. So, so that's what Sokwatch sort of like came in to help, right? And, and for a lot of our customers, it was an absolute game changer instead of having to have, um, you know, a taxi um, and drive to the wholesaler, you know, that, you know, you can have this app and get free delivery at your shop. Obviously, since then, you know, a lot of competition has come in. People have obviously seen that, you know, this supply chain, you know, this FMCG market space is, 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 is um, you know, when you're delivering essential goods, ideally, even during COVID, you know, we had the advantage of not having our business affected as much, um, of course, until we, we started seeing our shops getting affected. But yeah, I mean, now that it's been competitive, you know, every other FMCG player, you know, is, is offering the same goods, offering the same services. Some of them are trying to offer credit or have a third party partner. And so, you know, what, what Sockwatch has evolved now is really trying to differentiate itself from the other players in the market by giving a, a, a great user experience and also, you know, giving, you know, giving other tools and, and services that, you know, will really differentiate us from, from the other folks. And Sockwatch really like is just a great example of the thesis that once you're able to provide or solve a very, very key pain point or problem within Africa and then are able to achieve distribution with that solution, then it introduces all sorts of new services, like financial services that you can add on top of that infrastructure. And it seems like Sockwatch has done a fantastic job of that. Can you just go a little bit deeper into giving us like in Uganda, Kenya, Rwanda, this SME that you're referring to, can you just like describe exactly what they look like? The kind of makeshift shop on the road, like, like what, what, what is this SME that Soka Watch is serving? Yeah. So, I mean, Soka Watch is serving, I mean, it's, it, it's, your, it's your typical, you know, I open seven days a week. I, I open my shop at, you know, 5.30 AM. I close my shop at 10.30 PM. Um, my shop is probably attached at the hip to where I stay. That's sort of like the bulk of, of our customers. They fall into a number of groups, which is, you know, I'm just using this shop to just provide what I need. Other folks that we are serving have been hired by the owner of, of someone who has two or three shops. And we also serve sort of like larger shops, like, you know, just sort of like small mini marts who, yes, can be able to sort of like, you know, invest in getting their goods. But, you know, most of the time still can't really predict how much stuff they'll need. And so it, it is helpful to have, um, you know, an agent, a pickup or to, to pass by every so often to check on what you have and also have an app where you can ask for the goods. We're talking 21 years old to, I'd say 35. Well, obviously you have people who are much older. We also have wholesalers who know that, you know, they want a very specific product that we always have it. And so they really just use us as their, sort of primary distribution point. But yeah, you could say it's, you know, it's, it's, it's someone who, you know, they're, 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 they're a parent, they pay school fees, they're feeding their family. Yeah. Got it. I read a, a, a Tech Ball article on Soka Watch, and in it, you were quoted as saying that there's probably space for three or four Soka Watches within the market. 
were you just referring to the Kenya market or was this like the broader East Africa yeah, market? I, I mean, I'm, I'm referring to the Kenya market. I'm referring to peri, not even just that, like peri-urban informal settlements, right? You have no idea the number of people who, um, you know, a, a single shop serves, right? I mean, you'll find in some places you find, you know, three shops next to each other. Um, I remember one day, like I just, you know, stood for a couple of hours and, you know, each of these shops are getting like eight to nine people each, right, for, for traffic, right? And so because tastes are so different, because like suppliers are so different, brands are so different, right? You find that it's very hard to find like one like wholesaler or one like, you know, uh, distributor who has like all the products. And so ideally there's always, there's always, um, um, there's always space, right, for, for people. The second thing is because a lot of people like stock out, right? There's been a number of times where it's been, you know, super advantageous that like a product is not there um, in a whole town and like Soko Watch has it. And so we'll have a really good sales day. But then, you know, you, you'll find that sometimes when we're out of products and we get the products the next day, all the shops are like, yeah, I got served. So there's just like an immense amount of traffic, distributor traffic, wholesaler traffic, customer traffic, in these parts that you find that there is always business for everyone. And so what Sokwatch is trying to do is, I think, really show our unique value in trying to build the best experience for users. And beyond that, also now trying to be like a, a really, really great growth partner so that while we have all these, you know, sort of shops which sort of like open and close all the time, you know, we want to really, you know, stick with these people who have that mindset to absolutely grow their shops, right? You know, we want to work with that mom and pop store who sees themselves in, you know, two, three years, you know, being a mini mart, right? And seeing how we can really sort of like help them accelerate them to get there. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by market sizes in Africa. I mean, these markets are uh, surprisingly deep, especially when you look at big ones like Kenya, Nigeria, like you could spend years going down the rabbit hole of just penetrating the market. I mean, I think a lot of companies, they launch in Nigeria with the plans to like go Pan-Africa, but then they just spend five years, you know, going deep into Nigeria and trying Absolutely, to capture that yeah. entire market. Yeah. Especially in this informal settlements, right? Like, you know, you, you have... You know, you have one road going into like, you know, a, a major place like Kibera or, you know, Babandogo, but in there, because like, obviously the, the building is not controlled, construction is not controlled. You know, you, you find like, just like the, the, the amount of people that live in such places, right? Like if, you, if, if you're sort of like, you know, 6.30 PM and you're just watching the people, you know, walking across uh, Westlands, which is in Kenya, like, you know, going across half the town to, to Kibera, like, you, even just the foot traffic of, of, of these folks doing sort of like, you know, informal jobs, making it back home is, is staggering, right? Mm -hmm. So, Kago, this has been great. I want to finish this off talking just a little bit about COVID-19's impact, particularly on the adoption of digital amongst SMEs in Kenya. Because I think that this whole kind of feature phone world of USSD, like it's the leapfrog narrative has been there for a while in Africa when it comes to mobile phone penetration. But the next level or the next era of that, it seems like it's it's kind of been lagging mm -hmm. up until COVID-19. And now it seems like by necessity, a lot of the SMEs and a lot of 
uh, just normal people in places like Kenya are starting to adopt the digital world more and more. So can you talk a little bit first about this this e-voucher program that you started to enable uh, retailers to provide through Soko Watch? Yeah, sure. Um, so, so yeah, so our e-voucher program, you know, was something, you know, you know, Daniel got off the ground just because we were seeing a situation and as, as a business, you know, we had, we had seen it as a big risk that people were not going to be able to move, right? I mean, all we'd seen, COVID had obviously not hit Africa, but like what we'd seen in Europe, right, is that uh, movement had 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 really been uh, movement had really really been restricted, and so anticipating a situation like that, we said, okay, this has to happen here. You know, we need a safe way for people to move. We need to sort of like reduce cash, and we need to make sure our shops are still doing business and able to serve their customers. And so we worked with large nonprofit partners who we already knew to say that, look, you know, if you guys are already providing, um, you guys know who which families have been affected. Um, which families like don't have income. We, we worked with some companies and some startups who had to sort of like tell people to go home because of COVID. And so for the two weeks, you know, still wanted sort of like to show their support uh, because there was still at the beginning, this whole like stigma of like, oh, you caught COVID. And and so, you know, we, we did that. We just said, look, we're going to be able to uh, roll out a voucher system, allow people to buy vouchers in, in bulk, you know, products in bulk. And then we would use our network of, of shops, over 16,000 shops to, to be able to, to serve these vouchers. And that's exactly what we did. I think so far, uh, we've been able to give out 3,100 vouchers this year with our, uh, with our nonprofit partners, you know, banks, foundations, startups. And, you know, it's been, it's been really great, right? So uh, a beneficiary receives a voucher via SMS. They just go to a shop, which is branded Soko Cash, accepted here. And, you know, they go with their identification, you know, the shop owner rings up all their products on our app. And depending on who the, the donor is, some donors just want it to be sort of like extremely essential because, you know, they want to sort of like show the impact while some are sort of like, you know, more open to just, you know, letting the beneficiaries like purchase what they want. And then depending on that, the shop brings up the products. The person has like an OTP, like a security secure transaction. And the money essentially moves from the beneficiary's wallet into the shop's wallet. And the shop can use that money to sort of clear off their loans with us or order for more products. And so it also sort of served as sort of like a dual, not experimentation, because uh, you know, it's, it's now very much a thing, but um, also allowing our shops to use Soko Cash, um, encouraging, encouraging them to keep di- digital transactions and have more of, uh, and, and also allowing them to serve their community. So a lot of our shops, you know, we've seen them have an increase of about like, you know, uh, revenues of about, you know, 50% for the weeks that we were sending users to them. And I think they love the fact that they can also be part of helping their communities, you know, stay safe, avoid crowding. And, you know, they, they're also happy to, to obviously sort of like take this pre-ordered goods and services and uh, create value for them at the shops. Uh, for some of these shops, these were also new customers who are coming to them. And so obviously having new customers was also a great thing for the shops. Awesome. Well, I appreciate your time, Kago. Just, as, as always, this has been a fantastic conversation. But let's just sign off with your predictions of in the wake of Corona in Africa, like what does the digital ecosystem and the digital economy look like? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll refer to the founder of Geo, the the company in India, right? Like, I, I think Mukesh Mukesh Ambani's 
big realization is that he saw that instead of trying to create super bespoke services for India, what he did is he made internet as cheap as possible. And when he made internet like dirt cheap, what effectively happened is everyone started using TikTok, right? Everyone got on, you know, Facebook and all this stuff. And I think just the, the mere fact of people, you know, largely using some of these platforms allows Instagram businesses to pop up, allows Facebook businesses to pop up. So in a way, when you think about it, I think the big thing that COVID has accelerated is people are, are sort of now hungry for internet infrastructure, right? Um, and I think that's sort of like going to open up so many sort of businesses, right? I mean, a lot of people have already sort of like moved their businesses because of COVID to selling stuff online, right? Creating Instagram shops. And you can see, you know, the big four companies really following with tools that allow people to sell. And so I think what, what, what I see sort of like versus the previous like USSD SMS transition, I think that's still going to be there, right? I think a lot of, a lot of, especially in East Africa, a lot of, of us have seen that, you know, the, you know, the, the real transactions, like, you know, heavy transactions are really happening in this informal spaces. And so there's obviously going to be a case for USSD and SMS. However, because we are starting to see the cost of data is now becoming cheaper than, you know, the cost, cost of a megabyte now is almost, or actually I think it just crossed being cheaper than a text. It's going to be very interesting to see what kind of, um, of, of, of services that, that will come up, right? I mean, I, I think it's going to be hard to compete with, you know, really large e-commerce giants who, who sort of like enter the market. But I think when it comes to sort of things like allowing these businesses to do a lot of like communication with their customers, right? Loyalty programs with their customers and stuff like that. I still feel like for that kind of allowing informal businesses to treat their customer better and grab that loyalty, I think there is still a huge, huge untapped space that I, I think Stockwatch is definitely, you know, trying to capture. With this e-voucher program, you know, being the start, the second being zero data platforms for kiosks to talk to customers and stuff like that. I think we do see that, you know, personal relationship being automated on the internet. If, if, if people get that right, I think there's a, um, a, a whole set of tools, not just for, you know, informal shops and economies, but any sort of like small businesses who are, you know, communicating with customers in the 500 to, let's say, 3000 range. Kago Kagachiri, Global Head of Innovation for Sokowatch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me again, Andrew. Always, always exciting uh, talking, <laughs> talking to you. Yeah, let's, 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 let's try and make it uh, three years before, uh, before we do the next one. <laughs> <laughs> for sure, man, for sure. <laughs>